I'm Lynn Wolf, and welcome to this edition of our Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series. Today's program features Bob Clements of Bob Clements International sharing how to hire, train, and manage a high-performance sales team. This podcast is brought to you by Yanmar. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Subscribing means you will receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released. Thank you to Yanmar for bringing us this podcast. Don't settle for less when you can have more. For example, Yanmar makes all its compact tractors major drivetrain components, the Yanmar engine, transmission and axles, all in-house. Because they're made to work perfectly together, you and your customers get a hard-working machine with more usable power, less power loss, and a smoother, more comfortable ride. Yanmar's tractors are designed to work as hard as you do for a lifetime. Strengthen your dealership today with Yanmar. Email them at agmarketing at yanmar.com or call 777-877-9894. In today's competitive marketplace where every dealership is competing for every sale, it is critically important to make sure your people are maximizing each opportunity to sell more equipment at better margins. In today's Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast, brought to you by Yanmar, Bob Clements shares what he's learned about success from working with thousands of dealerships throughout his 30-year career. Some things I want you guys to be looking at, and you'll hear me talk about them a little bit more toward the end of this webinar in terms of numbers and what numbers we should be tracking for salespeople. And we also, I'm going to talk about different types of salespeople that are needed, uh, hunters and farmers, and how to determine, uh, number one, what you need for that. And we also have assessments that we use with all of our dealerships. And uh, for everybody that is registered for this uh, webinar, uh, Natalie from our office will be sending you a link so that you can have one of your people take one of the assessments for free. And, uh, and I think it'll help you as you see it and as I talk about it today, help really understand uh, what it is that you're looking for salespeople because sales is such an important part of this industry. You know, as we work with dealerships, uh, our goal in a dealership for a good, strong, healthy dealership is to have about 15% of the revenue uh, coming out of the service department, about 25% of the total revenue for the dealership coming out of the sales department. But I expect 60% of all the revenue in a dealership uh, to be generated out of the whole goods, the sales side of the business. So every morning we wake up, we have a pretty big task on our hands as salespeople to make sure that we're getting that revenue in and we're keeping that dealership strong and healthy and profitable. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and I want to get started and get us focused a little bit on what it is, first of all, what sales is, and I know that seems a little odd, but I've been training salespeople for 30 plus years and I think most salespeople, I really don't understand why people buy and I think it's even more important to understand that today. One of the things I try to get people to understand when I train them and when I'm working with sales managers is understanding that you have to understand that people are not logical creatures, they are emotional. One of the biggest mistakes that I see dealerships make today and salespeople and even manufacturers is that, that more and more of them are focused on the features and benefits of what the tractor or the uh, UTV or the other power equipment, what it does. And while those things are all important, I, as I told the, the groups that I've been training this, this week in sales, is the challenge that we have in sales today and dealerships today is the manufacturers, they all make good products. Everybody has a good product. I tell people, uh, you know, a ten thousand dollar lawnmower is a good lawnmower regardless who makes it. You know, a twenty-five, thirty, fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand dollar tractor—they're all good anymore because back in the seventies and the eighties, everybody went through this total quality movement. Where un, un, up to that point, there was a lot of variation, a lot of differences in just the basic quality of equipment. Today, that a lot of that has gone away, and so the challenge that we have in dealerships and the challenge we have as salespeople is we're going to go out. And, and, I, and I know we're taught to talk about all these unique little things that the particular product that you sell does. The reality of it is, is in most people's minds, most customers' minds, they don't see as much of that differences as you've been trained to see. And so I try to get salespeople and dealerships to understand 
And really what we have that we have to focus on is the emotional side of the sale, not the logical side of the sale. People get and, and will spend money on things that they are excited about. And that's when I when I tell people when you're looking at salespeople and when you're hiring salespeople and when you're building a sales team, it's not about people have a real good have a real good ability to just to rotely explain things and take a brochure and walk people through step by step, logic point by logic point of why they should buy this piece of equipment or why this particular piece of equipment is a better piece of equipment. Because all those things ultimately, for the most part, confuse people. As I told my group yesterday and last night, that people get confused on anything more than about three choices. And so when you start giving people lots of information that they don't really need, uh, you've already created a problem for yourself as a salesperson and potentially even as a dealership. So the most important thing to understand in, in why people buy is that people are logical. People buy things that they get excited about. People buy from people that they're excited to buy from. So as you think about this in the context of creating a high-performance sales team, I'm not interested in finding somebody who can sit there and just simply buy rope with no emotion, explain to somebody why they should buy something. I got to tap into people's emotions as a salesperson. And it's the same is true in your dealership. If your dealership looks like just every other dealership, right? Why should I spend more money to do business with you? I want people to walk into a dealership that gives them an experience of some sort. And I want people to meet my salespeople. And I want my salespeople to give those people an experience that they can't really get anyplace else. So understand that as we start thinking about building a high performance sales team, most important thing for us to understand, in my opinion, is understand that people are not logical, they're emotional. If we're going to do and have success in sales, we've got to have salespeople that can get people excited about what they're selling. And I tell salespeople the easiest way to get a person excited is for the salesperson to be excited. I think, I think that's one of the biggest issues that dealerships have today. You have salespeople who really aren't excited about the products that you sell or really about you as a dealership. And when you have salespeople, who've lost the passion and excitement to sell, they become order takers. And I tell people, I don't need to spend a lot of money to get an order taker. Order takers are those people that you see at fast food restaurants. They're just waiting for somebody to come in, wave money in front of them, and take it. And that's not, we, that's not what we need today. You know, in the big ag industry, when the commodity prices were high and everybody was buying, my grandmother could sell. I mean, people were walking in, my, and my brother's farm, and this is the reason I know this, and, and people could walk in and they wave, were waving cash in their hand at the end of the year to spend it so they didn't have to pay taxes on it. There, there was nothing nothing to selling a few years back in the big ag industry. You still see a little bit of that in the real lifestyle market, but it's starting to shift and change. So we're at a point today, and I think for the last year I have been doing more and more and more sales training with dealerships because I think dealerships are finally understanding that I gotta change what I'm doing here. I've got to find, I've got to number one, find the right people, and then when I find them, I've got to train them how to sell. And 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 not training them just on the products that we're selling. And that's important. I tell people again, it's important that you understand your products, you have a good knowledge and understanding of it. But I got I've got to train and find people and train people who are passionate and excited about the products that we sell and about the dealership itself. Because I tell people today, if you can get your customers excited, they will spend money with you. Because the most important thing that you need to understand in sales, I think, is that people don't buy products and services, they buy people. Right? And I tell the dealerships I work with and the manufacturers that I that I do training for that the salespeople are really the product. When somebody walks into a dealership and they're walking in to talk to you about a tractor or a UTV uh, or, or a lawnmower, they've already made a decision to purchase something in most cases. 80% of the people when they come into a dealership have already made a decision, I'm going to buy that. So they're not really looking at what to buy. And if they walked into your dealership, they already are comfortable with the brands that you sell. Okay, so they're not even really trying to decide what brand do I want. They may have a couple that they're thinking about. But for the most part, people come into your dealership, in my opinion, number one, because they're comfortable with the brands you sell. You have huge signs all outside of your dealership. Uh, that tell people what you sell, so it's not like it's a mystery. They're not coming in and discovering all of a sudden what you sell. They know what you sell, so they're comfortable with what you sell, or they wouldn't have came into your dealership, right? And they've already made a decision in most cases that they want to buy something, or they wouldn't be out there uh, walking around and talking to people about it. I believe personally, and I've been selling myself personally since 1973, I believe that most people have made decisions to buy what they're really looking for 
as a salesperson to buy it, to, to sell them on it. And, and they want somebody that they can like and trust. One of the most important things to understand in selling, I believe, is that people buy from people they like and trust. If I've got a, a forty dollars or $50,000 purchase I'm going to make, and I'm standing there talking to somebody that doesn't ever look like they've handled forty dollars or $50,000, I'm not going to give it to you. And so as I tell salespeople, you've got to look like somebody people would want to do business with. I think one of the most important things that salespeople can do today is, is make sure that they look right as a part of what they're doing. As I was doing my training yesterday, we had a conversation, and, and I asked the sales group, the sales team that was, was in my groups, I said, if you introduced a brand new product into the marketplace, and you wanted people to get excited about it and purchase this, what would you do to it? There were all different kinds of answers, but one person finally said, well, it would need to look right. And I said, that's exactly it. You know, people are attracted to things that look right. They're, they're already going to buy your product, but they're, they're looking for a salesperson that they trust that can give it to them. And so I asked this young man, I said, well, well what do you mean look right? And, and we were talking about it, and I said, well, let's do this as an example. I said, if you went to a, 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 to a grocery store, and you were going to buy a, a frozen dinner, uh, and, and so you walk up to a case of frozen dinners, how do you decide which one that you pick? I said, you haven't tried it yet, and there's probably nobody there that's referred a frozen dinner to you. So you're standing in front of a case of frozen meals. There's probably 100 variations in there. Not unlike what you guys have in your dealerships. You know how many... How much competition you have out there? Either either a competitors around you, competitors in other states who are selling in your state or the internet. It's like frozen food. There's so many options out there. And I said, so when you walk up to that frozen food case and you open the door on it, what made you pick the the frozen dinner you picked? And and again, he said, well, it's because of the packaging, the way it looked. I go, that's exactly it. I, I told him, I said, you know, those green beans are never going to be that green, actually, when you get them out of the package. I said, but the package, the look, and that's what that's what people buy, because you haven't tried it yet. And it's no different in your dealership, and it's no different with your salespeople, right? When people walk in there, they want to they want to give money, purchase, do business with somebody who doesn't look like them, but who looks a little better than them. I tell people, when you're a salesperson, and you need to be thinking about this as, as, you're, as you look at your sales team, they need to have a look like they're an advisor to the people that come in. And this is going to vary dealership to dealership. You're all in different parts of North America that are on this webinar. I don't know exactly how your people are going to need to look, but I will tell you as a sales trainer that people want to spend money with people who look like somebody they would want to give money to. You have to look like your customer's advisor. I can't have you looking like the customer. I, I can't have you wearing old tattered clothes or some stupid t-shirt or a tattered old hat. I need you to look the part. So if somebody's going to give you thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you better well look like you're somebody that's touched that kind of money before or you're just not going to get it. And so again, so when you're thinking about salespeople and you're thinking about building this high performance sales team, to me one of the most important things to be thinking about is what am I looking for here? I want people who have the look that I'm looking for. I want people to know the product. I'm not saying that product knowing the product's not important, but I've also got to have people that are excited and passionate about what they're going to do because I truly believe that your salespeople are what people buy. And so when people walk away from your dealership and they didn't buy from you, you can blame the manufacturer because the manufacturer quote unquote didn't do a good job marketing, but keep in mind, marketing is all about getting people into your dealership so if they're coming in, Maybe it's not that the manufacturer's not doing a good job marketing. Maybe your salespeople just simply suck at what they do. And I tell people again, so if your salespeople aren't good and they don't do a good job, I don't care how much, much marketing money you spend, people are going to come in and they're going to meet them and they're going to walk away because your salespeople didn't look like somebody they would want to do business with. So I want you to understand that that's an important part of this piece. People buy your people. They've already made a decision that your products are okay, and quite frankly, they've probably already made a decision that your dealership is someplace they would buy from or at least neutral to them. Your salespeople's job is to get those people passionate and excited about taking and giving them their money, which is trust and security, giving it to them for that product or that piece of equipment to do it with. So you have to ask yourself a question as an owner or as a sales manager, do my people look like somebody that people would want to give money to? And if they don't, that's the first thing you got to change. You want to have a high-performing high performing group of salespeople. You have a group of people out there that are passionate and excited 
that people want to do business with. So let's talk about that. What are some of the top qualities of salespeople? Well, I think one of the number ones is I want salespeople to be self-starters. I don't have to drag you out of bed. I don't want salespeople that come come in late in the morning or bitching and complaining about having to stay after five o'clock. I want people that wake up in the morning that are passionate and excited about the opportunity they have and to be able to connect with people and get people excited about connecting with the products that they sell. And the thing I've seen, and I've been in sales since 1973, top salespeople, you don't have to wake them up in the morning and you have to, and you have to almost talk them into going home. You know, top salespeople, a customer says, well, I can't be there until after 5, and I know you guys close at 5 o'clock. Top salespeople say, well, guys, that sucks. Uh, well, how about Saturday? No, top salespeople say, you know what, it doesn't make any difference. You come in here at 7 o'clock tonight, I will have the lights on, you and your wife come in here, and we will sit down. Don't worry about time. Top salespeople don't do an 8 to 5 day. Top salespeople do whatever they have to do to get people to do business with them. They are self-starters. They are self-motivated. So if you've got salespeople on your team right now that you just have to sit there and kick out of bed to get in the morning, or that at 5 o'clock they're already clocked out and running out the door, you don't have salespeople, you've got order takers. Because that's what we find in top salespeople. You have, to, you have to pry them away from coming in too early, and you have to pry them back out of the door at the end of the day. They're there to help people. They're self-starters, they're self-motivated kind of people. So you've got to evaluate your own sales force right now. If you've got people in there... That, that come in in the morning and they're going and having coffee and they're screwing up my shop because they're back there talking to my guys or they're hanging out on the parts counter and they're not in there making calls and contacting people and starting to do the work of sales. You don't have salespeople. You've got order takers. And you've got to have people in your business today that are out there that are passionate and excited and willing to go out and make that happen. So I'm number one looking for self-starters. And interesting enough, we have some assessments that will help us determine that. And again, uh, if you're registered for this uh, webinar, I'll have Natalie from our office. She handles all that for us. We got your email address. She'll send you out a link, and she can send you out an assessment that you can do. Do either take yourself just for fun. It's going to be about 54 pages of information. Or if you have a salesperson that's a top salesperson, have them take it. And I think you'll be able to see that at that point that there's actually assessments out there that will show you this self-starting aspect of it. The next thing you have to do is you have to have people that are willing to quickly adapt to change. Dear Lord, this industry is shifting and changing with all the different finance programs that are going on and things like this, and different types of people coming in. I can't have a salesperson that's sitting there going like, oh, Bob, but everything's always changing. I just wish everybody would leave everything alone. This is a world of change. I've got to have people that adapt to change. The most important thing to understand if you're selling is you have to adapt to the customers that you're selling to. When I was talking to the salespeople just yesterday, we talked about that, and I said, you know, the reason that most salespeople only close 25 to maybe 30 percent of all the people they talk to is because they don't change who they are. Top salespeople adapt who they are to match the customer or customers that they're with. Doesn't mean they change their integrity. It doesn't mean they change their morality. But if I'm working with a man and a woman and they're and they are wanting to uh, ask questions and slow down, then I can't drive or push the sale through. I have to adapt myself to them. I have to become like them. When I teach persuasion, it's as a part of my sales course, I says the number one thing you have to understand in persuasion is people like people who are like themselves. Opposites only attract in magnets. And so if I'm hiring a salesperson, I'm looking for somebody who literally can change and adapt themselves, who they are comfortably, on a whim because as I'm working with one customer, as soon as I'm done with that customer, and another customer comes in or I'm out driving and making outside calls for my dealership, and I go from one farm to the next farm, or one customer to the next customer, I have to change who I am. I have to become a different person because I have to adapt to the way that person is. So you've got to be looking for people who are not happy with status quo. You've got to be looking for salespeople who are comfortable with changing. I tell salespeople, top salespeople are comfortable being uncomfortable. Most people, when they get uncomfortable, are uncomfortable. Top salespeople are okay. They're comfortable with being somebody different to adapting who they are. So as you're looking for top salespeople, you're looking for that, that quality of adapting quickly to change. And that comes out of their personality. And again, as this, we have these assessments that we do for dealerships as they're hiring salespeople. I can pretty well tell you when you hire somebody, where do they fit in that continuum? You also have to find people that are motivated by either one of two things, motivated by money, not the love of it, but they like money, they like how it works, or motivated by winning. So again, I tell people again, sales has a natural motivator to it. You're either going to be motivated by money or motivated by winning. 
Now, I'm not a money-motivated person. I think I'm a very good salesperson, but I hate to lose. So I tell people again, so I'm a person that would be more motivated by winning. Every sell to me, whether it's a small sell or a big sale, is a win. Now, some people, if it's not a big sale, then they don't make a lot of money on it. That's not as motivating to them. But to me, I don't care if it's a small little sale or I don't care if it's a big sale. In my mind, it's all still a win that I have the ability to do. So I'm looking for people who are motivated by money and winning or motivated by money or winning. Either one of those work for me. And again, when there's assessments out there that look at the motivators, there are six key motivators human beings have. And as we do assessments, we can actually find out, as you answer questions on this assessment, what are your primary motivators? And again, my primary motivator is learning and winning. I love to learn new things, and I hate to lose. And so I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll spend however much time I have to do it. I, you know, If I have to take and work on Sundays, it doesn't matter to me because I hate to lose. Don't do it for the money. The money's a nice thing, but I'm not a money-motivated person, but I am a winning-motivated person. So that's one of the things that you're looking for as you're interviewing people. You know, Tell me about what you've done. And, and, and again, you can do those as a part of interviewing uh, when you find it, but motivated by money and winning. The next one, again, and I think, again, it's one of those things that we miss many times, but they're passionate about your dealership and they're passionate about your products. You've got people that work for you that are no longer excited to work for you. It's time to move them on. Right, they're 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 an order taker. If somebody walks in and they slowly get up out of their chairs and click off the internet that they were doing research on, and by the way, you got salespeople in your dealership that are doing research during the day. Right, they're not salespeople. We don't do research during the day. We do research early in the morning before people come in. We do research later at night or after the dealership's closed while there's nobody there. We're salespeople. When anytime, anytime we have the ability, when there's a customer available to be sold, to be contacted, to be touched, that's what we do for a living. That's who we are. So when you got salespeople around there pretending like they're busy because they're doing research on something, you don't have salespeople anymore. You've got order takers. That's not what salespeople do. Salespeople are passionate about touching people, reaching out, sharing the vision of the dealership, sharing the vision of the companies that you represent. They are excited about that. And I tell people again, that's why they sell more than anybody else because they're passionate and excited about what they do. And people are not logical, they're emotional. They buy off of that passion. And that's why top salespeople are top salespeople and average salespeople are average salespeople. As I said yesterday to a group of people, I've seen guys that are average salespeople or below average salespeople and they're whining and moaning and complaining because they got a bad territory. I can take a bad salesperson and put a bad salesperson or an average salesperson to a top performing territory and I, could, and I can take a top performing salesperson and put him in a bad territory and it won't be six months before the top performing salesperson has the bad territory performing at a high level and the average or below average salesperson will take one of my best territories and turn it into a swamp. So I tell people again, it's all because of passion and drive and energy, and those are the things that you're looking for in a salesperson. If I'm interviewing somebody that's that's a salesperson, and I don't get a sense that they're passionate about selling, and I don't get a sense that they're passionate about helping customers and finding customers and things like this, I'm not going to have a high-performing salesperson. I want somebody that is excited about what they do and can continue to keep themselves excited day after day, hour after hour when they're in a dealership. Top-performing salespeople don't always make sales. The top performing salespeople are motivated and they can keep themselves motivated when everything else starts to fall apart around them. So I just want you to understand that that passion, right, and that excitement and that enthusiasm for what they do is an important part of looking for those high performance salespeople. The other thing I tell my dealers, then you have to also have to have a clear vision of you want of what you want the salesperson to do. Many people say, hey Bob. Uh, hey, Natalie or Sarah, who also helps me with this in my office, I said, you know, we're looking for a salesperson, right? We're trying to find a salesperson. So the first thing we, we do is say, well, what do you want them to do? And then, of course, the common answer is, well, we want them to sell. I go, well, we got that. Okay, but, but what do you want them to do? Do you want somebody who's going to go outside of the dealership and contact people that are not currently your customers? Is that what you're looking for this salesperson to do? Or... Are you looking for a person that can take an existing base of customers, take care of them, and grow that base of customers? Which of those are you looking for? Well, I'd like to have both. Well, you can't have both. You can have one or the other. I tell them because in sales, we have farmers that are salespeople, and we have hunters. Okay, and so the first thing you have to figure out is what are you looking for? Because they're two very different people, right? So as you think about 
hiring a salesperson, do you have to ask yourself a question? Do I want a salesperson that's primarily going to take an existing group of customers I have and nurture them and grow them and get more business from them? Or do I have a situation where I have maybe a, a brand new line that I brought in? I have a dealership down in, in, in Texas, uh, uh, Hendershots, that was just in my sales boot camp, and they're opening up and they're doing rental and things like this. And so the salespeople, they needed because they don't even have a base of business to go after this yet. They've got salespeople that I had in my, in my boot camp that they're hunters. They're guys that are going to be able to go out and find people that's never done business with this dealership before and talk to them about things that they've never had offered before. And so you've got two very different types of salespeople that you're looking for. Let's talk about the farmers first. So farmers, for most of my dealerships, are what they're really looking for. Most of my dealerships have been in business for quite, quite a while. And so what they're really looking for are salespeople who are going to be responsible for maintaining and growing uh, the business with the existing customers they have. And so as we look at salespeople, there's several things we look at. We look at what motivators they have. Okay, and as I said before, two of the key motivators, I'm looking for people that are, are uh, I say, money-driven or like to win. Uh, but as we look at the, whether you want to be a hunter or a farmer, I'm looking more uh, relative to uh, the fact, uh, or what's your personality type? And so when I'm looking for farmers, I'm looking for people as I test their personality, I'm looking for people that are higher in the influencing part of their personality and that steady where they'll, they, they, can, they like people and people like them, but they will follow up and follow through and continue to do things like that. So that's the personality type I'm normally looking for for a farmer. On the same token with a hunter, I'm looking for a little, little somebody a little bit different because hunters are salespeople who are responsible for uncovering new opportunities and finding new ways and new ways to make sales. And so there, and by the way, hunters have a higher level of rejection they have to deal with because I'm not talking to people that's done business with us many times in the past, so there's going to be a lot more opportunities for them to hear the word no than yes. And so I have to have salespeople who are hunters that have the ability to handle the kind of rejection that you get sometimes when you're a a salesperson going out and making face-to-face -face calls on people, calling on farmers or other businesses or commercial contractors or whatever to sell them construction equipment or those things like this. So there, from a personalized standpoint, I'm looking for somebody that's higher in the driver part of their personality because that driver is that competitive. They don't take no for an answer. They're a little bit more forceful, but they also, with the influencer part, have the ability to make people quickly like and trust them. So again, so as you think about the type of salesperson you want, you really have to make a decision on that as a owner or as a sales manager. Am I looking for a farmer, which is a little bit different person than a hunter? I'm a sales guy. I'm not a farmer. I'm a hunter. I always laugh. People say, gosh, Bob, we need you. And I go, no, you need a farmer. I would be a terrible salesperson for you. While I would be able to sell, I hate uh, the, the, the follow-up and the maintaining and things like this. It's just not my personality. I'm a guy that likes to go out and hunt. I'm a guy that likes to go out and find new business. I'm a guy that likes to go out and, 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 and meet new people that I've never met before. I'm very comfortable with that. So I'm the hunter type person. So if you were a, a dealership that was getting ready to break up on a new territory or open a new store someplace or take on a new line that you've never handled before and you needed to reach out to customers you've never reached out to before, I'm your guy. If you're looking for somebody that can just take care of customers that are coming in and maintain it, I like people. But, but, I, but I would get bored with that relatively quickly. And so I tell people, so you've got to make that decision as you're looking for a salesperson. People say, well, I want somebody that's a little bit of both. Well, you can get a little bit of both or a combination of it. But I tell people, you either kind of tend to be a farmer or a hunter if you're a salesperson. We'll rejoin Bob's discussion, but I did want to take a moment and again thank our sponsor Yanmar for making this program possible. Using ever-advancing technology, Yanmar continuously strives to exceed customer expectations and deliver exceptional lifetime value by integrating its products, services, and knowledge into a superior quality, comprehensive solution. Visit them at yanmartractor.com backslash new dealer inquiry. So far in this podcast, Bob Clements has shared his thoughts on the sales process, including the reason people buy, they buy from people they like and trust, as opposed to buying based on features and benefits. He also pointed out the key motivators for top performing salespeople, 
which are either making money or winning, as well as the differences between salespeople who are farmers versus those that are hunters. Let's get back to the program and hear more from Bob about the importance of tracking sales activity and the value of keeping your sales funnel full. The next thing we have to understand is the importance of tracking activity. One of the things that, that amazes me is as dealerships, you know, you guys spend time tracking the activity of the service department. We know in service we keep track of time and in our service departments, you know, the ones that we consult with, uh, we track time by the tenth hour. So every tenth of an hour is going to be documented on a work order or on a job code someplace. So in sale or in service we, we track the activity of time and most of my dealerships track it constantly. There's never a time a service tech's not on a work order. So that's what we're tracking in, in the shop. When I, when I move to the parts department and I say, what do we track? And they go, wow, we, you know, we track inventory turns. Yeah, but we also track transactions and how many transactions we did a day, what's the average value of that transaction, and how much time did that transaction take. So that's what we're tracking in parts. Then I say, well, what do you track in sales? And they go, uh, sales. And I go, no, <laughs> no, you don't track sales. Sales is the result of what you should be tracking. I said, sales is a final result. Right, that's like getting a closed work order, having the customer pay you for the part. That's the final thing that what you're tracking produces. You don't track sales, you track activity. The most biggest mistake that I find that most dealerships make is you guys aren't tracking the activity of your salespeople. You're tracking the sales, but I tell people again, I've been selling since 1973, and sales are a result of activity. And if your salespeople aren't making enough sales, I'm telling you right now, they're not doing enough activity. And you say, well, how much activity do they need to do? And I go, well, that varies based upon their skill as a salesperson. So what we're trying to do is we say, look, activity is what we track in sales. You guys all have, or most of you will have some sort of a business management software, and every one of them should have some sort of a customer relation management component to it, a module where you should be having your salespeople log in and log out and track activity and leads and, 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 and quotes and things like this. And so you want to be running as managers a report every day or at least once a week by salesperson on their activity. And if your software can't do it, then call your software person up and tell them you need that done. And if they can't do it, then I've got a couple of places I can connect you with. Uh, one's called Pipe Drive that a lot of my sales uh, dealers are looking at now. P I P E D R I V E dot com. Take a look at that. It has an open API. So any of your software, business management software companies, if they don't have a CRM, and they all should, right? But if they don't have one, then talk to them about interfacing with Pipe Drive. It's relatively inexpensive, and you can utilize it from that standpoint. But ultimately, the biggest mistake that I see most dealerships making today is, is you're looking at sales, and you're not looking actually at what creates that sale, which is the activity. I like to think of sales as a funnel, and in that funnel we dump all this activity in the top, some of it falls out to the sides in the form of no's, but ultimately activity generates some sort of a yes, and a yes is not what we're tracking, it's the result of the activity, and we should be tracking activity. So we talk about value of activity, you know in the parts department we talk about what's the average value of a transaction, and if I want to decrease my part sales by, let's say, 10%, Right. If I know what my average value of a transaction is, then I can quickly figure out what do I need to increase the average transaction value to to have a 10% increase. As an example, if I did $32,000 worth of part sales last month and, and there were 800 transactions that that represent, then each transaction has a value of $40. And if I wanted to increase my part sales by 10%, all I have to do is move the value of my transaction from $40 to $44. And of course, you've been in my webinars before, and we, you know we do that through cross-selling and upsell. But I know what the value of my activity is. When I ask sales managers or dealers, what's the value of activity for your salespeople, most of them have zero idea. This is something you guys have to figure out. And I'm going to send you, as part of our worksheet, a sheet that you can work through with each one of your salespeople to determine the value of activity. Let me give you an example. Let's say I have 20 suspects. Suspects are people who have a pulse and can fog a mirror. Right? They're not qualified, they're just people. They could be people that are 
come in and connecting with you on the web. They could be people who are uh, walking in your door. They may be people, if you're an outside salesperson, that you just drive into their property or to their business to talk to. They're just people who have a pulse and can fog a mirror. All activity in sales starts with suspects. Right? I don't know anything about them. They're just a suspect. So let's say that I had 20 suspects that I talked to over a period of, let's just say, one day. Okay? Out of those suspects, I qualify them. And I ask qualifying questions, and I'm hoping that you all have your salespeople have standardized qualifying questions that they're asking. If not, again, get with us. We have those for you. But let's say I qualify these, and out of the qualification process, I come up with 10 people who actually can buy. doesn't mean they're going to buy from me, but they have the ability to buy. That means that, again, that they're, they're, they're the decision maker. They've got the ability to get credit. I have products that they would be interested in. Right? There's a series of questions you would ask. There's about seven that you always ask, and that's going to help you qualify people. Now, let's say from those 10 that are qualified, five of them decide they don't want to do anything with me, but five say, yeah, I'd be interested in finding out what you have. So we do a presentation or we do a walk around on the equipment. Out of those five presentations or walk arounds, I end up making one sale. And the sale has a value to the dealership of $20,000 of gross, gross sales. Okay, So then I would say, well, then how much is the sale worth? And most people go, well, sales worth $20,000. And I go, no. I said, a sale is worth no more than all the no's that it took me to get that sale. I tell people the biggest mistake that people make in sales is you don't understand that we don't count the value of the sale. We count the value of the activity. So if I, if I had 20 people that I had to touch to get one sale, and the sale generated $20,000 in gross sales, each person that I touched, whether they bought or they didn't buy, had a value to my dealership of $1,000 in gross sales. Because the only way I got one sale was, was that I had to touch 20 people to get the one sale. Now it starts changing everything about your dealership when you start understanding that every person, whether they buy or they don't buy, has some sort of intrinsic value to you, and you need to figure out what that is. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if somebody walked in and you knew that every person that you touched as a salesperson, every phone call you made, every web lead that you followed up on, every person that walked in the door, every person that you knocked on the door if you're an outside salesperson, if, if, if every one of those had a value to your dealership of $1,000, wouldn't it be easier to take a note? If, if somebody walks in your dealership and they go, I never buy from you people, I'd go, well, thanks for the 1000 bucks. They're going to go, what? I says, well, I get $1,000 of sales every time somebody comes in here, whether you buy or not. right? And then somebody else walks in and says, hey, I don't want to buy from you. That's great. Thanks for the 1000 bucks. I tell you, that's what sales is. Sales is activity. And once we understand what the value of activity is, it changes the whole perspective in your dealership and in your salespeople and what they do. So I tell people again, once I know the value of my activity, then I can sit here and say, okay, well, gosh, Bob, I need you to do a million dollars of gross sales this year. And if I know what my value of my activity is, this is going to vary salesperson to salesperson, but if I understand what my value is, I literally can sit there and say, okay, well, if I have an average value of $1,000 per activity and I need to do a million dollars in sales, all I got to do is some simple math and say, okay, well, then I need to touch this many people. And it becomes pretty simple. All right? And people say, okay, well, I need to touch how many people? And I tell people, once you get that figured out, to me, sales is simple. And from a dealership standpoint, it's not hard to hit your numbers. Because if you got salespeople that aren't doing the activity, you get rid of the salespeople that aren't doing the activity, and you find salespeople, high-performing salespeople, who will do that activity for you. That's your challenge. You guys get so locked into your salespeople, and you're so used to just letting them to do whatever. They go like, oh, you don't understand. Nobody's calling today. We need to do more marketing. We need to do more activity. Get off your butt, pick up the phone, and call people. Right? That's how this whole thing works. That's what you do as a salesperson. You create activity. If activity is not coming in, you generate activity. That's what high-performing salespeople do. I'm sick of the whining and complaining of average salespeople. Go find another job. If you can't produce the activity, it's time to move on and let somebody in that actually can do it make it happen and let the dealership make the kind of money they should be making. When it comes to this sales funnel, people say, well, how do I get people in this funnel? Well, the first thing I would tell you is just start with existing customers. Most of you have a database of four or 5,000 customers that you've developed over the year. When I have a dealership that hires a new salesperson, they go, how do I start? I said, I just had this, uh, David Ingram with Winona Tractors down in Winona, Mississippi. 
good client of ours. And David hired a new salesperson last year. His name is Paul. Wonderful young man. Back in my boot camp again this year. He didn't have anybody to call on. So David ran a report out of his business management software. David's been in business a lot of years. And, and we, we, took, we took customers that had not bought from David in the last five years, but had bought between five and ten years. And we ran a report of all those customers. And David had over 2,000 customers that nobody in the last five years had even touched. And so we took those, and I gave those to Paul, and I said, Paul, let's just take 400 of them and throw in your funnel, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to call up every one of these people and just say, hey, my name is Paul. I'm with Winona Tractor, David Ingram, uh, who the owner wanted me just to give you a call and introduce myself and see if there was anything I could help you do. And that's what he did. It's called a warm call. And, and he ended up with almost a million dollars in sales his first year in sales. Because I tell people again, because most of these people, they were right into that time frame when they should sell between five and ten years. And I had people say, well, why don't you have him start earlier? Because if I've got a salesperson that sold somebody in the last five years, that's still their customer. But if you're a salesperson and you sold somebody five years ago and you haven't touched them for five years, they are nobody's customer anymore. And any, any new salesperson should have access to them. Another way I do it is through breakfast, a breakfast club. A breakfast club is a kind of a cool idea. But as a salesperson, I used to go out and I used to find other salespeople that – I knew that that sold to my customers, the same customer I sold to, but didn't compete against me. And so I would go out with them, and I'd find four or five of these people, and I'd say, hey, look, we use the same customer. We don't compete against each other. How about we get to go to come to breakfast once a week on a Monday morning at 7 in the morning. It's Dutch treat. Everybody buys their own breakfast, and let's swap leads back and forth. You know people who need what I have. I know people who need what you have. How about we just share leads back and forth? It's a phenomenal way to get sales and that to me is probably how I would do most of my sales. Then you can ask for referrals. I tell people selling 101, if you have somebody that likes you, the first thing you should do is say, gosh, you know, anybody else like yourself that might be interested in what we do. The average customer will give you three names. Out of the three, two won't be any good. It's not that they won't be any good. They won't be interested in buying or they already are okay. One will probably be interested and if you continue to do that in 90 days, you'll have over 1,500 people in your funnel. Most of them or a lot of them you can't deal with because they're outside of your territory, they're outside of your area. But I tell people, but what if only 10% of them were people that would fit? You'd have 150 people in 90 days who had an interest in doing business with you. And the last, and to me, the lowest value person is just somebody who randomly walks in your door. But that's how you fill that sales funnel. So when salespeople say, well, who do I talk to, what do I do? It's easy to create the activity to dump in that funnel. How much do you need? If you're a brand new salesperson, you should have 400 names in your funnel, and your job is to work through those names. And every day, if some of them fall out, maybe one buys, and maybe 10 says, "Don't ever bother me again." You got 10, right? Or you got you got 11 there. You had one sell, and 10 went away. Your first job every day is to put 11 more back into the top of that funnel. We never ever let that funnel go below a certain number. So that funnel is an important part of the selling process. Then you just kind of know your numbers. Now this is a sheet, so you don't have to worry about writing this down. This is a sheet that Sarah's going to be sending you. And this is what I want you to do as a manager or as a salesperson. I want you to know each person should know their numbers. Each person should know how many people per day do they touch, contacts per day. Not how many people do you sell, how many people do you touch. You make phone calls to handle web leads on, go out and see how many per day do you do this. Of those, how many, when you qualify them, actually are qualified to do business with your dealership? So qualified contacts. From those qualified contacts, how many do you end up doing a presentation or a walk-around on? From those, how many end up turning into a closed sale, which is your closing ratio? There's no salesperson that works for a dealership that shouldn't know what their closing ratio is. That's the, that's the most important number that every salesperson should know. And I'm going to tell you right now, most of your salespeople can't tell me what their closing ratio is. Some can, and they're the pros. Then you take your closed sales, you divide it by the income, then you take income divided by total contacts, and that tells you the value of each contact or activity you have there. Sarah's going to send this out as your worksheet. I'd love for you guys to take the time and have, have your salespeople take this for one week and track their contacts, contacts to qualified contacts, qualified contacts to presentations, presentations to closed sales, closed sales to income, income divided by total contacts, and I, go, I will tell you in one week, if you do this, and you have your salespeople each do this in one week, you will know more about what you're going to need to do to hit your sales numbers than anything else you're going to do. So this is going to be a sheet. Sarah's going to send this out as a part of this uh, webinar. Make copies of it, do it, start tracking this information 
on your people. Then let's talk about compensation briefly as we wrap up and then we'll get ready to ask and, or answer some questions you might have. So the other thing is make sure that your sales compensation program is based both upon, both upon activity and sales. And again, I know a lot of people have all different kinds of compensation programs, salaries and, and then salaries and, and bonuses on gross sales or bonuses on net sales. Uh, some of my dealers let the, the uh, manufacturer spiff flow back to the salespeople. There's a million different ways to do it. I don't care how you do it, and we can help you if you need some help building the compensation program for either an inside or an outside salesperson. But I tell people again, make sure it's based not just on sales, but on activity and sales. Tie activity, some level of activity every day, every week, every month into your compensation program. Hold your people accountable for activity. If the activity's there, the sales will be there. If you just hold them accountable for sales, they're going to start whining and moaning and complaining because there's not enough activity. You're not marketing well enough. You're not getting enough people in. Salespeople, salespeople, not the dealership, salespeople, not the marketing department, salespeople are responsible for creating and generating activity if it's not coming in on their own. All right, so again, make your compensation program activity-based and sales-based. All right, so if it's an inside salesperson. So again, you've heard me talk. I just did a live cast. I think it was last week or the week before last on compensation. There's really three different ways you compensate people. You have individual compensation, you have team compensations, and you have pool compensations. Well, in sales, on inside sales, normally, so these are people here that are not actually going outside of the dealership. Okay, you, people are coming into them. It's more of a retail setting. So if you're in an attractor dealership and your salespeople actually don't go out, they're standing around, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but they're in the dealership waiting for people to come in because you're marketing and advertising. You have a flow of customers coming into you. They're inside salespeople. And they receive, in my system, they receive a base determined by activity and a percentage of a team bonus. So let's say that I have a salesperson that's a new salesperson. I might start their base at, say, $400 a week, and they would get maybe uh, a, whatever percentage of the team bonus they get based upon their activity. So if you have $400 a week base, I would expect you to do a minimum of 20 contacts or touches a day. If you have a $500 base, I would expect 25 touches, contacts. If you have a $600 base, I would expect 30. But it's a base determined by activity, okay, and a percentage of the team bonus. The team bonus is, is that salespeople, when you're working as a retail salesperson, you want to have everybody just simply pulling all the money that is the bonus into a pool and dividing that out then at the end of the month based upon activity levels. So as an example in the little pie chart there, Sally has the most activity of the group. So Sally, and I think when I did that, Sally's got like 42 or 40% of all the activity that was generated that month was generated by Sally. So Sally would get 40% of that team bonus. And if, and if uh, Ben had, you know, 38% of it, then Ben would get 38% of it. And then if Bob, that would be 78%. So Bob would only have done 22% uh, of the activity. And so Bob would only, only get 22% of that bonus based upon activity. So I tell people, again, when we do inside sales, I like to have each person responsible for activity, right? And if you're not doing the activity, you shouldn't share equally in the bonus like everybody else does. So I do the bonus based upon activity. So I put all the money together in a pool. So I take percent of activity divided by the team bonuses. That's, that's how everybody gets paid as inside salespeople. That way, everybody's sitting there working hard, uh, trying to keep everything moving. If you've got outside salespeople, we do it just a little bit differently. So outside salespeople are compensated uh, based upon net profit from their sales. And so if I have a customer out there that comes in to the retail setting, the outside salespeople get all of the bonus off of that. Okay, So that's a part of what you have to do is as an inside salesperson, you are going to help sometimes take care of the, the people that come in that the outside person has generated. So outside salespeople receive a base. Again, it could be any amount. Uh, it could be a $25,000 a year base or a $30,000 a year base or a $40,000 a year base, depending upon what you're trying to do and how you're trying to help do it. Because keep in mind, outside salespeople are typically not calling on people that, in most cases, that are currently big customers of yours. Now, in some cases, they are, right? But most of my outside salespeople are out there breaking out new territory. They're the hunter. And so you're going to have to give them a better base because they're out there uh, digging around and going through the mountain of dirt to find the gold nuggets. So their base is bigger. And then the, most of my situations, my outside salespeople get 10% of the net profit of their sales. 
and again, it depends upon how we do it. I have some that as the sale continues to move from an outside sale to an inside sale, where the customers are now being maintained by the inside sales force, the outside salesperson gets a reoccurring revenue on that for some period of time that starts to diminish. So they go out and they build it. They continue to get revenue off of that year by year. Each year it gets a little bit smaller because I want to, I want to encourage them to go out and open up new business, but I also want to make sure that they're getting some aspect of that ongoing business for maybe the next three or four years to do that. So again, lots of ways you can do the outside compensation program. But I will tell you that again, on the inside, all my inside guys are bonused on uh, activity, or I expect them to, yeah, they get their base on activity, and then their bonus is pooled in most cases. And then my outside guys get a bigger base uh, because it is a tougher job out there, and then they normally get some sort of a percent of net profit from their sales. And again, there's a lot of variations in that, and if you have questions or anything like that, I'd be happy to help you with it. You can call uh, Jim or Jeff, uh, Brian, any one of our advisors in our offices there, and uh, they can reach out and help you uh, put together compensation programs that will work there. I, I just want to say as, as we wrap up, this to me is the time. This is the year that you really want to focus on your sales. You know, uh, Hopefully, if you've been following me for years, you've got your shops cranking out and your parts department's doing good. Let's make this the year that we focus on and really create that high-performance sales team. I know all of you have salespeople. This is the time of year that you want to sit here and say, gosh, do I really have the right group? I want people that are excited, that are passionate, that are motivated, right? that come in early, that are willing to stay late. If, if they got a call on a, on a Friday and says, guys, my wife and I can't come in, uh, it'll be Sunday afternoon, then I'll be there Sunday afternoon. I'll open the store up. We will have a conversation. That's the kind of salespeople that I want in my dealership. That's the kind of salespeople you want in your dealership. They are out there. There are people out there right now that would love to work for you. You've got to find them. But first of all, you've got to know what you're looking for. Find them, find out who they are, and then get them into your dealership. And if you do that, you're going to have a phenomenally fantastic year. Thank you, Bob for sharing the steps to building a high-performance sales team, especially the idea of knowing the value of activity. You mentioned that dealers often know the value of sales, but only those high-performing dealers are measuring their activity that leads to those sales. Top-performing salespeople also know their closing ratio. Knowing that number will help you drive activity to bring in those sales. These are simple but solid strategies to grow sales exponentially. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. And go to www.rulelifestyledealer.com to learn additional best practices from Bob regarding achieving excellence in your parts, sales, and service departments. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yanmar, for helping make this Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series possible. And please share your feedback on today's program by sending me an email to lwolf at lessitermedia.com. That's L-W-O-O-L-F at lessitermedia.com. Or call me at 316-648-3717. Thank you.